I've been told I've got flat feet. Right from when you're a kid, when you're told that, uh, it really shaped everything for me. Like I just had this idea that I couldn't really do physical exercise that involved my feet a lot. When you have pain, it's usually about one part of your body going, I've had enough. I'm doing more than what I expected to do, and I've had enough. And I'm just letting you know. And that leads you to the question, well, which bit's supposed to be doing the work that that bit's doing extra for? Knees, hips, back, wherever. That means that treating the bit that's causing the pain or feels sore suddenly doesn't make a lot of sense. And yet that has been the foundation of, I think, our approach for a long time. I'm not fixing my feet. I'm not broken. I'm growing and I'm growing in a way that allows me to go out and do other things. And I can walk for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres, you know, and have no foot pain and no pain anyway. So what it means is I don't have to think about that anymore. I just get to go and explore. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. So thank you so much for joining us on the Restore to Explore podcast. Another story from the soul. These are my favorite episodes to record because uh, we get to talk to everyday people. And I mean that in the kindest, uh, in the kindest way, but just people from our community uh, who are on their journey to foot freedom and to share perspectives about, yeah, how you've gotten to us and then how the journey has been from there. So before we sort of jump into your foot health story, do you want to give everybody a bit of background on who Lisa Harris is? Uh, I'm just basically a pretty normal uh, person, woman who's uh, scaring 60 fairly significantly. And um, uh, the one thing about um, as you get older, of course, you, you do tend to value your health more and more. Um, and you also sort of realise that um, all those uh, all that time you've had to think about, you know, getting whatever uh, is, uh, is coming upon you. So, you know, it's a... Probably like many people in that situation. Um, I uh, have had some health challenges at times, uh, like most people. Um, and so that's also, you know, um, had cancer a couple of times and sort of had surgery, lots of surgery with that and medical intervention. Um, and uh, work-wise, I'm uh, an academic and uh, at RIT, and that um, means a lot of sitting around, which I'm sure we'll touch on at some point. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I live in, um, in Torquay in Victoria, which is a pretty lucky place to live. So uh, generally I feel pretty ha happy about life. So, yeah, that's probably me. An academic, can you tell me a, a little bit more about that? So RMIT, which is a big university yeah. down in Melbourne for, for people living uh, yeah. globally or outside of our Aussie bubble. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I uh, work in, or I'm an academic lecturer there, and um, I basically, the areas I look at, uh, I'm interested in is to do with sort of social science, social policy and social work sort of areas. Uh, and so uh, I teach mainly master's students in that area and uh, in a couple of programs in um, the Masters in Public Policy and also in the Graduate 
Certificate of Domestic and Family Violence. And so, yeah, I've got a sort of, uh, um, I've got an odd work history where I started in IT as a systems engineer. And then um, I had a, decided to move over to social work, which is a, an odd change, but it uh, worked. And then studied social work and liked being at university so much, I thought, oh, I think I might stay. So I uh, did a PhD and, um, yeah, and then uh, sort of gone from there. So that's, that's uh, it. I, um, my PhD was actually around uh, the development of online learning environments that foster community. And so... How um, interesting. Yeah, well, it was sort of good. It was great for getting a job, quite frankly, because um, little did I realise that many people in universities at that time didn't know much about online. And so... Um, most of my teaching, because of the health issues I've had with head and neck cancer, that's often meant that I've had to adapt things and can't lecture in the same way that I used to. So that also meant that I um, made use of a lot of online um, uh, materials. And that's sort of been interesting because it was uh, it means I do I actually work from home a lot uh, and also I do a lot of sitting around in where I am now in the shed. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, it, when COVID hit, it was sort of a, a, wasn't a huge issue for me because I said I was program manager at the time and just said, that's okay, we'll, we'll bring everything online and, you know, we developed it from there and, and, uh, and yeah, so I, it, like many people, I think I got to spend most of COVID sitting in this shed because in Victoria we had lots of lockdowns, of course, so, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's. It's interesting that you you did your PhD in, in sort of online learning, building communities, and mm. that is, I guess, how we connected through uh, mm. our online learning community. Can you tell me how you ended up finding the Foot Collective? Yes. Well, um, how I found – well, to be honest, I found it in Facebook. Um, I was uh, one of your – ads came up for Facebook and, and um, I had a look at Jim's video and the reason why it ended up appealing to me at the time was I uh, I used to be much bigger and I lost a lot of weight. I lost about 40 kilos um, and which was really important also in my health journey um, because I had to have a lot of surgery and it meant I got so much fitter and it made me far more resilient for surgery and for and they're long surgeries, they're sort of, um, you know, 10 hours plus. So um, it meant that having really good heart health was, was sort of important. Uh, and so for the last 10 years or so, I've tried to have um, either bike ride or rowing or something of that nature. Anyway, I, uh, I sort of let a lot of that slip by with work in a way I'd got quite I, I was program manager and got quite you know quite full-on and I was yeah sitting in the shed a lot and um I had taken up park run um when I was bigger I used to say that you know uh I didn't just have one eager runner inside I had at least two that were trying to get out but um uh, and so I'd taken up parkrun, which was a great way. A friend had sort of introduced me to it, and so I just started walking parkrun, um, as you can do. And uh, and walking 5Ks was a fair bit at that point for me, and um, and eventually being able to run. Uh, and that was a huge thing for me because uh, 
from when I was, I, I can't really remember how long ago. I suspect it was when my, you know, mum was taking me to get school shoes fitted for my, you know, barter cubs or whatever they were in 1970, whatever. Um, I've been told I've got flat feet. And so right from when you're a kid, when you're told that, uh, it really shaped everything for me. Like I didn't, I couldn't run and I, I don't know if I couldn't run because I didn't run, you know, whatever it was, I just had this idea that I couldn't really do physical exercise that involved my feet a lot. <laughs> and um, and that meant that over time, I, you know, I've sort of been known a bit as the Imelda Marcos of shoe collections, not in a way that you might think around fashion, but basically whatever I took up, I'd have to go and find what were the, what were the right shoes for me because... I, you know, was flat-footed and I used to get heel spurs and, you know, so uh, that was sort of, um, and at times I had orthotics and, you know, so I've always thought my feet were a bit of an issue in a way, uh, but an issue that I could deal with by popping on the right shoes for that issue. So I'd taken up park run and I had gone and bought myself a lovely pair of runners, which was great, and I ran for quite some time and all of that, it was good. Uh, but then COVID hit and I think a combination of mine might now understand sitting in my chair for uh, sometimes 11 hours a day, you know, while I was in the middle of, of obviously because for, in COVID there were many things happening, including things happening for our students, which meant that I spent a lot more time in team meetings with them and uh, stuff as well. So often my days were very long. Um and I didn't, wasn't doing park run and I wasn't doing much else either. So when all that lifted and I could go back to park run, I, A, I'd put on some COVID kilos, like possibly many other people. And I went back to COVID, I went back to, I went back to um, park run and I started getting knee pain and, you know, shin issues. And, but the knee pain was the sort of quite debilitating bit. And a friend had said to me, oh, look, it'll be issues. You know, they're probably a few years old and I yeah. So I dutifully went off to the runner shop and got on the treadmill and and they went, oh, yes, no, we can see the issue here, blah, blah, blah. And I came out with another lovely pair of expensive runners, which, you know, had gotten bigger, sort of more... Thicker, more heel thing, more arch support, more, you know, blah, 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 blah. Great. Out the next week, going to be fine. Great. No, not so fine. Um, and it was sort of in that that I – it was around that time which I saw um, the ad for the, the Foot Collective for or for the Soulmate. Um, and I thought – and we live in a very small house, so exercise stuff is sort of – the idea that it was a small thing that you could take with you uh, and that you could use in lots of different ways. And I think also the fact that um, there was so much available online, like on in YouTube and whatever, that I just sort of felt, and that it came with this sort of six-week thing. And, you know, and I looked at it and I thought, because I'd been going to see a physio and, and all that sort of stuff, and I just thought, this is really like one or two physio visits and if I can you know if I can if it, if it works and I can sort of start to do stuff and I think the logical it just started to make sense about the fact that when I looked at some more of the YouTube videos that you had on and and it was like yeah okay having 
having your foot rigid probably doesn't make a lot of sense really if you think about it. And so that meant that I, I bought it and had a go. And I think the thing that was sort of so amazing to me was the fact that, um, you know, I got it, opened it up, excellent, you know, printed, downloaded the six-week thing, printed it off and dutifully started. And and it was sort of weird because it was like, this isn't much here. I, don't, I can't imagine this is going to be doing much. I'm lifting my toes. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but I was also sort of committed to starting it gently and just sort of doing doing what you recommended, I think, was the thing. Because I do have a capacity to go hard at things and it can end in a bit of a train smash. So, you know, I just did I just did what the program said, really. And, um, and I found it really interesting because reasonably within a sort of two weeks, I could really start to feel some difference in those things. I, I wasn't running. Um, and I just sort of focused on doing doing that, and we were we were going away as well, so it meant that I could actually take it with me, and we were going to New Zealand and and keep going with it. And I found uh, both the actual experience of it really easy entry, great, and the fact that it just built muscles really slowly, I think, and got flexibility in things, and and I've known for many years that balance is actually a really critical thing as you get older and um and so that sense of going yeah this is really also about developing my balance or improving my balance or whatever uh to me was like okay that's that's where I want to go so I found that it was sort of and I think then I got you know obviously I um joined the TFC community uh and there's just such a wealth of information in it and that allowed me to have the other part of my my personality click in which is to start to go okay what is the logic behind all of this how does it work um you know and I and then I think because you guys provide a lot of that information and you have a lot of those ongoing discussions yourselves uh that we get uh access to um, that really made me confident about moving forward with it. So, yeah, so that that's sort of, I mean, that's how I found out how I got connected. And, yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to before you saw the ad uh, and before you sort of first maybe had one of those light bulbs go off. What was your understanding of the foot up to that stage and I like I'm, I'm guessing it sort of started when you first had that interaction as a child I know my younger brother had one of those uh, labels placed on him very young about the flat feet uh, and yeah I think it's interesting what you described about whether it was the flat feet that stopped you from running or being able to run or whether it was possibly more of a psychological burden of the fact that you were broken or you know uh the body wasn't built correctly to some degree that uh yeah planted that seed and how did you see that sort of develop through your life do you think it changed your relationship with your feet throughout absolutely i think uh a couple of things one is i do think it's very powerful when when you're told something like that um and it's, and I think it's also that weird thing if you're, um, so 
because I'm the youngest in my family. I have two brothers. And uh, and just being two years younger than them meant that, you know, I couldn't probably do the things that they could do or run like they could or do whatever. And then that sense of uh, being given a label, oh, well, that's the reason why. And so it it's... Now I would see it as actually quite disempowering, if you know what I mean, because yeah. rather than, say, for instance, what happens in the Foot Collective, which is this idea of going, okay, understand it and work out how you might be able to think about that and, and what you might be able to do. But, um, and so I think, you know, just, and I think also the other thing that can happen when you hit school is that you, at some level, everyone's treated the same, but at another level, People come to that with different capacities and skills. And so when you're, you know, being told to run around the block, like we used to have to do at school, um, <laughs> whatever, and you're like really slow and it's painful and you're going, you know, and you've got no aerobic capacity. Uh, and meanwhile, you've got, you know, your Cathy Freeman version of a five-year-old sitting beside you just belting down the thing. You're just going... Well, that's it. They're naturally good at that. And and so I think it shapes then what you do. And I think that idea that um, you experience pain, and I think this has been another big thing from the Foot Collective for me, is the idea that you, if you experience pain, that there is a problem and that problem gets fixed by something being done to you, if you know what I mean. So in case of feet, um, that that's going to get fixed if you have the right shoes. And that then becomes a very dominant way of thinking about about stuff. It's a reliance model. And, you know, from yeah. a very young age, if yeah. that's what you're being told by the adults, the experts, yeah. the doctors, the the parents um, and even the, the people who are fitting your shoes in store who, to be fair, a lot of them have no knowledge about how the foot functions, uh, yeah. but you're being told that this is what you need. Yeah. It's mm. very hard to break out of that, mm. um, that mindset. And then that gets confirmed because, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to do things as I got older, you know, so play golf was a good example, you know. Um, and I used to end up with terrible uh, heel spur pain in one foot in particular and, you know, had injections and had all the orthotics and, you know, so it's not like anyone said to me, oh, well, if you actually think about, you know, loosening all the muscles in your feet and, and then strengthening them in a way that actually will support the feet... Um, but no one said that <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's obviously meant that they hadn't been told that in their education either you know like it actually isn't really it, it, it just wasn't a thing and I uh, and I guess the other thing is that and it, I think the idea that it, you have things that end up being sort of self-confirming loops I think as well, is that our model of like, yeah, I would go to a health professional that might be around, you know, sore back or you know, legs or whatever, and they give you a series of exercises to do. And you do them 
in varying levels of, you know, uh, consistency would be the best way to put it. Um, and you don't necessarily see, I just, like I rarely have ever seen uh, improvement based on those exercises. And in a way, I think everyone just keeps lying to each other. Oh, yeah, I'm getting better. Oh, yeah, I yeah no, well, we'll get. And then eventually you stop going because you can't, can't deal with this anymore. So, um, and that's not to suggest that there isn't the best intention by everybody in that space. I just think it's a mindset of working from a particular way that um, is now, I think I understand probably, is not, not as helpful as it could be. And it's, it's treating an issue in isolation as well. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's been the journey, the beauty of the journey you've just described uh, is, and people, we, we often get comments on the very ads that you got served about people saying, you know, firstly, how ridiculous to spend $120 on a piece of cork. Um, and again, like you said, it really is the cost of a physio uh, you know, a physio consult. Um, and if it's going to work, then it's probably worth, worth the gamble. Um, but secondly, like just actually getting you to do really small baby steps from the ground up and, and working on really tiny aspects of your health. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's real power in that. It's similar to what you started doing with park run, really. I guess that was probably the perfect, uh, training ground for that slow, gradual approach, uh, because I guess you were limited in what you you could do initially. Um, and I think because the feet have been so out of sight and out of mind for so many people, there is uh, there is often a I guess a habit for people to just jump into this sort of stuff and think that they can do it all mm. because they're they're going well. I've been walking around on my feet, you know. I, and if they haven't had foot pain, they're probably like, oh, well, my feet are fine. Uh, but, for example, a, a basketballer we caught up with down in Melbourne last week described a very similar journey to you of just just doing the little things, like really small toe mobility stretches and, and releases and, and building up gradually and how quickly he saw the progress as well because really so many people in society have never done or not never but have done so little foot focused training um that that just those minuscule little nuggets of of movement are are going to really you know add up pretty quickly um yeah and then yeah sorry go on well i was just going to say that um it's one of the things that's really uh, and I've found it interesting because people have asked me about it sometimes and it's just like, where do you even start? Like I find it hard to because um, I think, and, and I think often where I start with people now is I say, look, one of the things that's been really clear that's come out of, out of uh, my engagement with the Foot Collective and the community there um, has been that the mindset of understanding that when you have pain, unless you've had some sort of impact injury, it's usually about one part of your body going, I've had enough. I'm doing more than what I expected to do and I've had enough and I'm just letting you know. 
and that then makes the, leads you to the question, well, which bit's supposed to be doing the work that that bit's doing extra for? Mm. Uh, whether that's knees, hips, back, wherever. And but that means that treating the bit that's causing the pain or feels sore suddenly doesn't make a lot of sense. And yet that has been the foundation of, I think, our approach for a long time. Um, it's the reason you kept on getting new shoes that's right. <laughs> or going that's and right. seeing, you know, going and, get, and getting the orthotics. Um, yeah. And was, that that's idea, the issue. What's the solution? Yeah. yeah. And that sense of actually being able to go uh, and, you know, uh, and as I mentioned in the community, you know, um, I was up staying with some family and one of my family members said to me, oh, who is younger, um, they just sort of said, oh, uh, I'm really worried about bunions. My mum's got bunions and, you know, like we all know it's genetic. And I was like, ah, mm. uh, you know, and that allowed me to go, well, and because there's a lot of resources in the actual community for every condition you can possibly imagine. And the thing I like about the way that you engage with those conditions is you you look at them and describe what they are in a way that allows non-medical people to understand that. You always look at what is the current research or information on that. And I think that's really important because, you know, so much of what we deal with these days is not information that is based on what we know currently. Mm. It's not to say that what we know currently that comes out of research is all there is in it, but it's a good place to start because it actually informs a lot of what happens in, in medical terms and can give you some understanding as to why health professionals might suggest something or not. And then that idea of if you put that together within a certain sort of area of logic, particularly in regards to shoes and what they do with feet, then you have a basis upon which you can start to think, listen to what's being said to you and go, okay, does that make sense in what I'm, in what I'm saying? So the bunion was great. I don't have bunions. But I said, oh, look, here's a, here's a thing from the Foot Collective about bunions. So before... What was the know, response? Because um, well, the funny thing was, that... I'd, yeah, I'd been staying with um, my niece, and so I had my soulmate out, and was doing some balance stuff on that as well. And so she sort of asked about that, and you know, and then uh, uh, when I gave her the information, and she listened to, I think it was the, I think it was the YouTube actually, yeah, it was YouTube. Um, and the next day, uh, I'd, and I went to then find some other information to give it to her. And she said, oh, I ordered the soulmate last night. <laughs> and I went, oh, great. Did you, what did you, because uh, I was sort of thinking, you know, I could leave my soulmate with her if she wanted it and then I'd yeah. order another one or something, you know, like I just was like, oh. And um, and she went, oh, no, I ordered the kit last night. It looks great. And I went, oh, right, okay, <laughs> good on you. Right here. Um and and I think the interesting thing is, you know, what I like to say about humans, no one gets out alive. Like we all end up having journeys that include in, you know, a physical reality of, of 
of um, change, pain, whatever, um, uh, illness, you know. So, and and those conversations, and people will talk to you about that. And thinking, and I'm not suggesting that there's um, you know one solution for any of these things, but that idea that you can have a conversation and go, well, this is an, a, a, a sort of a different way of thinking about it. Have a look at it, see if it makes sense for you. And I think that's the other thing I've really liked about the journey with the Foot Collective is that sense of like going, well, this is what we know, this is what some other people have tried. What do you think it's going to work for you or not? And I think that idea that you get to sort of iteratively work through what, what works for you. And I yeah. think, um, and I guess one of the other things I would just say is that, you know, part of what I've really enjoyed about it actually is seeing Nick and Jim and yourself and all of those that are working on the Foot Collective. Um, exploring stuff that you guys are still sort of working through as well, you know, and that has, and we get to see that via podcasts like the Restore to Explore podcast and um, uh, and also in, in within the community as well where we have discussions uh, on meetups and one of the and you've probably had many more and it's probably about when I, I came into it but um, I can remember a, a Restore to Explore that was with um, Katie Bowman mm. yeah Bowman yeah Bowman and I was just like that whole idea of like not just like I got, I got the idea from you guys about natural shoes and what did that mean and I'd started to explore natural shoes myself and that was that was that was been been a great journey really to be honest and and a shock given I was you know I have all these shoes for various things and now I'm going well I've got like three I've had three pairs of shoes now and they all work for what I want the sandals and you know a couple of um, and but just that idea that your entire body responds to load and stress of the physical environment, and that that actually you when you change your environment you you change your body, and so you know it, it was that sense of like like because I know you guys all do the sort of you know. I don't know if you all do it, but, you know, you're on the floor a lot and at home and you're, you know, like it's that whole thing about you're removing stuff more and more. And um, I think listening to Katie Bowman and then I read her book, like I just feel like it's like, okay, like I really do, I really do get and understand this now and now it's up to me to um, integrate bits and pieces in my life as I can but not, be a nut job about it just like no. work through how I can make those changes and so yeah one of your ideas that came up is um which I've, I've loved actually is uh, uh I think you call them like exercise snacks or movement, movement snacks, snacks. Or yeah movement snacks you know so yeah you know when I'm making a coffee in the morning I stand on one leg or I do squats or I lift my toes up or I you know, how do you how do you pepper your day with movement that is allowing everything to take up its, its, its yeah yeah.
We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health, but if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five Fs for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah. It, and it's it's something that becomes inherent pretty quickly the more you do it. Like you, you don't even probably have to consciously do a lot of that stuff anymore. Like I, I noticed... So often I'll find myself doing toe piano in the weirdest places um, or, you know, just getting down into a squat or moving my shoulders or, or stretching. And in the past, I, I would have never done that. Um, a, for fear of looking a bit weird, <laughs> but B, because I just wasn't conscious that it's something that my body needed all the time. And now my body's like, give me, give me, give me. Um, and, you know, that that relationship with the signals from the body um more you strip away the clearer those signals get um but i think yeah that the point you made about uh we're not the experts um we have some very intelligent people in our community and uh like you said they do a lot of research and they're constantly leading by example and and doing doing things on their own body to more deeply understand how it may help other people um but really, you know, what you did listening to the Katie Bowman podcast, reading her book, passing on our podcast to your niece, that is what it's all about. Like that is the reason we make as much of the education and the training as free and accessible as possible because only so many people are going to go on the journey you've gone, which is honestly like the dream journey that, that we'd love for all community members to go on is to start small gradually build up and and really I, I think just from talking to you I can see the biggest learning point that, that you've made or the biggest change you've probably made in your life isn't necessarily what you're doing with your feet or with your movement but it's your mindset to all of it that's changed um, if we can open source that and then have people like yourself who are empowered on their own journey and then have the resources to go when someone asks a question not to not know what's going on because I think you know, again, it comes back to that reliance model that we see with a lot of the healthcare or disease care model that we're we're living with currently is you go and see someone, they fix you, you don't understand how they've fixed you. They probably haven't actually fixed you, but you've then got no tools to go to the next person. You've just got to go, oh, I'd, I'd recommend going and seeing this guru essentially who who made me feel better as opposed to going, hey, listen to this, get a simple tool or don't get a tool at all 
just start mm. doing the training and doing the movement and learn for yourself where your limitations are and, and how you can adapt that. And yeah, I think um, I, I, we've, yeah, everyone in the office, when we saw the post that you put up about going and visiting your niece and seeing your family members for the first time in a few years and getting them all playing on the soulmate by the end of it and breaking down those barriers is, um, yeah, it's really powerful because I think as well, friends and family are sometimes the hardest people to break down with this sort of stuff. Uh, you need People need to learn for themselves, I often find. You can't tell them. They have yeah. to hear it from someone else and then maybe have five or ten other touch points before they go, oh, maybe they're onto something. Um, but I think the best thing you can yeah. do to, to, to jump yeah. that cue is to actually just get them playing with you and moving and let them experience yeah. it and then, you know, it speeds up the process. Yeah, and I think it's also, I mean, it's that stuff around, it's part of the reason why I also really uh, admire the way that um, the values of the Foot Collective, which is about making education free and accessible. And even just recently where you've um, moved most of your um, video material um, with a sort of a strong play focus back into YouTube. Um, so that, because there's an enormous value about being in the community of TFC, about signing up, which costs nothing for the community in TFC. I'm absolutely going to say that. But for some people, it's like, I don't want to do another... I need another app. Now. I don't want another one. You know, another app. I don't want to do any of that stuff, right? Yeah. And you're, and you know, from my perspective as someone who works in education and in tertiary education, you know, I really believe education should be free. And the fact so that you we. guys do that, and you, and I know you put in an enormous amount of energy, um, in all the material that you provide, and and uh, and in the ongoing conversations that I had. Uh, it's sort of a, it's, it's like, well, having that material available for free does mean that anyone can literally, you know, grab a rolled up towel, have a bit of a go. But my, I guess the thing I would add to that, it is a mindset that says, and this is one of the values of being, you know, scaring 60, is, you know, you just know that Your body does change slowly over time, and that I know that you know it can take you. Like as a good example, through COVID, you know, sitting in my chair for possibly a couple of years, um, probably didn't help anything, right? So my body adapted over time, but it wasn't like a single day I was sitting in the chair. It happened over a number of months, years, possibly. Uh, and and so that's what people need to understand if they engage in that health journey as well. That it is going, it is slow, but that it works, and it works because it's backed by a lot of science and understanding of what we know about the body, and and um, and also that it has a sort of ripple effect in other parts of your life, which is sort of great because it isn't just about um because 
I'm not a natural exerciser, let's be clear, I'm not a natural routine person, I'm not, and so for me, and I still don't have, don't don't tell Mick and Jim this, but I don't have a daily routine <laughs> related to my feet, okay, I just don't, um, and, but every day I do something with my feet, you know, Sounds so. Sounds like a routine to me. Oh, <laughs> right, but that's. And that varies a lot depending on what it is, but partly because I think what that sort of framing it of going, I'm not actually working, I'm not fixing my feet. I'm not broken, I'm not fixing my feet. I'm growing and I'm growing in a way that allows me to go out and do other things. So I'm just continuing on as me, but now I get on the floor more. Now I have a little sort of balance beam type thing that goes near where the uh, pantry is. So when I go to the pantry, I try and walk along the balance beam if I'm going to go to the pantry. You know, I I always, you know, I used to have this thing because we live near the beach and take the dogs down to, you know, walk on the beach and they'd always go, oh, what sort of shoes am I going to wear? Do I need these ones or those ones? Or, you know, if I'm going to walk that long? I mean, now it's like I just have, some zero sandals and I just take them off as soon as I get off anywhere where there's anything that's going to injure me. I was like, okay, yep, I'm on the grass now, I'm on some gravel and I'm down on the beach. And, yeah, so I feel Can you believe you're able to do that? walk. Yeah, no, and I can walk for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres, you know, and have no foot pain and no pain anywhere. Like, it's... So... What it means is I don't have to think about that anymore. I just get to go and explore. And and like you said, the the example with the chairs is like, okay, we can lose the capacity to be able to do what you just described, um, which happens gradually. And then we gradually get it back because that is possible. And we have thousands of stories globally about people who have been able to, to get out of pain. Um, and I like that you said it's not fixing your feet because even the word fix means that something's broken. Uh, we like the term foot freedom or freeing your feet because there's a, a more empowering narrative behind that. But if you are able to keep on getting onto the ground every day and you're able to keep on just walking along that balance beam every day and once a week or once every couple of weeks being able to continue walking on the beach barefoot if you just keep doing that your understanding of the body should be that you will be able to keep doing that uh, for as long as you keep doing it and it's the the use it or lose it concept and that big fear that people as they approach you know an older age bracket of falling that's why we are so such big believers in balance and in your relationship with the ground because too many people uh you know suffer serious injuries in old age from just falling over and i just feel like it's something that humans shouldn't be doing um particularly yeah. when we look at cultures Whoa. where they've got people in their 90s still in a deep squat um <laughs> and again it just it comes yeah. back to using it or losing it um so yeah i think i think it's just those daily little habits it. i mean it's interesting because you know, my my dad is in his eighties, and it's 
it's not about saying we don't age. We do age, but, uh, you know, recently on one of the Explorers sessions, um, oh, no, actually it was on Fireside, we were talking about the oh. shift in play. And um, so I love, uh, I don't always get to go to them live, but I always love watching them afterwards if I, if I haven't been able to get to them live. Um, and it was a really interesting discussion about neuroplasticity and how falling, and this is, I guess, part of the ripple effect of what I talked about around the information that's available within the community and how you can then think about that in the context of something else you're doing in your life. So um, great discussion with you guys about about balance and that led to a think of the student talking about, well, in actual fact, from a sort of evolutionary point of view, falling is a very significant problem. So your brain goes into a sort of space of learning at that point because it doesn't want you to fall, right? So then you you sort of open the space of neuroplasticity, which he sort of mentioned in passing is great if you're learning anything else because it creates this space for learning. And um, I'm very interested in learning in lots of ways, but also for myself, I'm, I'm you know, learning piano I'm doing learning chess I'm doing other bits and pieces which are all about keeping my brain active and it was like that makes a lot of sense and then I've subsequently done a lot more reading on that and it was like so you know because I want to know why like how does that actually work and it was like yeah okay so in actual fact if I um, spend a bit of time on my balance beam before I go and do my piano practice, it's looking good. And I think the the other separate issue, but the other thing I'm just going to mention, which has really been powerful for me as both a mindset thing and also very empowering, is really understanding the importance of error in building your strength or learning or whatever it is. So... Um, and I, I think I started this when I started the Explorer journey. I was like, you know, um, okay, I'm going to do, you know, green circles because there's like three levels, green circles, there's a uh, diamond and there's a black one, whatever. Oh, no, so a blue square and then a diamond, right? And and so I'd start off with the beginning things, you know, go, oh, yeah, right. And then I try and rush ahead and do, oh, no, I think I can do this one today. So that idea about you've got to sort of push yourself at different times. But then when I was like, you've got to record the errors and, you know, whatever, and it was like not understanding at that point why it was so important to be at a level where you were having errors because it's actually in the moment of the error, so falling off the beam slightly or off-balancing or doing whatever, that you're actually creating both the new neural pathways but also the strengthening of the particular muscle element, whatever, and not in isolation but as a whole unit. So your body working as a whole thing actually comes from that sweet spot of the error but with the building, with the awareness type thing. Um, and that's fantastic because that actually applies to lots of things in people's lives when you're trying to do stuff. 
And, and so, so rare in general exercise routines and training, I think, is because it's so structured and rigid, yes, you push yourself to your limits, whether it's based on weight or mobility, but very rarely are you consistently making errors. Otherwise, you'd be completely stripping back how you were doing that exercise to ensure that you could do it properly because it's all based on form and, and making sure that you're doing that correctly whereas the beauty of the of the soulmate or, or, or balance but training in general is the aim is to stay on it's okay if you come off and that's all part of it and if you're not coming off enough then change your stance so that you are coming off more so that you can keep pushing yourself and we were getting really deep on this concept we just yeah we're down in melbourne over the weekend and had a play shop and um, it's always a good chance for Jim and I just to spend two or three days together talking shop. Uh, but just the, the, the sheer scalability of the balance training, I think, is so underrated. And, and that's a big thing that we're trying to communicate is that people can start from literally anywhere and you get all of the benefits that you would get from playing a sport, whether it's tennis or ping pong or whatever golf whatever it may yeah pickleball exactly um (laughs) we love our pickleball but you know i'm blaming you guys for that (laughs) but the, the difference with the balance training is that anyone can play together you just have to change your stance to challenge yourself but you can still play the game with someone else and I think at so many other sports, there's like a threshold where you start enjoying the sport uh, because you've got to get up a basic set of skills to be able to um, either play it solo and get joy out of it or be able to compete with a friend or family member um, so that you can keep learning. But if there's a dolphin uh, skill level, like someone who's been playing for years and you who are just starting, it's very hard to actually enjoy playing that game. Whereas, yeah, the beauty of the scalability of going from a basic stance to a narrow stance or a wide stance and then a split stance and widening the split stance means that you could be playing with your 80-year-old father and be playing the same game and getting the same amount of joy out of it. And we were saying it's almost like the person who is more experienced at the balance training becomes the teacher for the person that they're training with. And the person who has more awareness around that concept is able to go, well, we're playing this game together. It's catch the hacky or whatever it may be. And if they're too good because their stance is too simple and they're not making enough errors, you're going to go, hey, challenge yourself a bit more. That's that's too easy. I'm challenging myself over here. Um, but yeah, it just means that, that we, and, and look, we're about to start what we call like in-person soulmate sessions um, here in Brisbane where... We want to get a group of people together, um, playing around on their soulmate, playing games together, moving, unlocking that neuroplasticity. It's like yoga meets Pilates, but fun and play-based. And initially when we were designing the idea for this program, we were like, okay, well, we'll have a class for 30 to 40-year-olds. We'll have a class for teenagers. We'll have a class for the elderly. And they were like, wait a second, everyone can play together. And there is so much more power in having everyone play together because Mm. it is so rare that, you know, you come to our workshop or our play shop on the weekend and 
you've got people of all different body types, ages, you know, abilities um, who are all playing together. At the start, they're strangers, they're awkward, <laughs> no, no one's really ready to engage. And by the end, everyone's dancing, throwing their arms about, laughing, playing with different people that they've never met. And yeah, it, it, I think I think it's just it's very hard to capture that so quickly in a group of people without being able to make it accessible. Um, because yeah, I think if you chuck yeah. the same type of people into any other sport or game, you'd struggle to get them mm. moving together. I think that uh, that idea that you know, if you can stand up, you can start to to do this stuff and if you can't stand up for a long period of time which many people can't who have issues um working out how you stand for short periods of time and value those bits and pieces and it grows and i do think the one thing about what i would say as a social scientist one of the things in what you've just talked about is what happens i think there is is just a commonality of human experience you know when we talk about the idea that from an evolutionary perspective balance is very important then when you bring people together and you happen to touch on something that actually has a very deep part of our um, uh, of what we value um, from an evolutionary perspective I think you end up touching people's people connecting with each other's humanity Either partly because, you know, we understand how important that movement space is, but also when you combine that with connection and particularly if you end up getting laughter, it's an incredibly powerful mix. Um, We know that from lots of different ways around how, you know, when we engage and we talk about creating community, but really what we're having is sort of one-on-one little like little neurons firing in that collective brain. And it actually, it's those things that mean people both feel connected, but they also feel more secure in themselves around how they are in the world. So I think that's part of why it becomes so powerful. It's an embodied experience that um, connects quite deeply, but also, and it's why... Um, I don't want to talk too much about pickleball, but you know, it's why when you look at the design of pickleball, you've got this bit where you're very close and you, you, you're very close. Like it's no other sport would I know that you're actually that physically close and sort of whacking things around and having fun. But because you're in that very close proximity, you have to actually be present to the other human being that's there. And in that moment, you're very connected and then you're doing this thing which is actually uh, important within your own um, neurological space. So I think it's a very powerful mix. But I also think it's what's so good that you guys have shifted your focus from exercise as a... A rigid thing, yeah. And that's look, that's why we've done the the partner games that we've added to Mm. the, the system as well. No, we don't explicitly say it, but the real reason a lot of the rule, like a lot of the games, we force people to make eye contact. And 
that is great for training your balance system uh, because okay. you're not focusing on your feet. Uh, you're, you're, you're focusing on something that's moving as well. So you're training your, your vestibular system. And But the, the great benefit really out of all of that is just getting people looking each other in the eyes. And we don't do that enough anymore. Uh, mm. I think mm. people often shy away from it. Family members, friends, uh, and you, for, you forget <laughs> um, when you're playing a game like that, that you are making that connection, but it, that's, that's really where the power of it comes. And hence why we mm. want to start these soulmate sessions in person, because it's, uh, you know, it's one thing to help people with their foot health, uh, obviously. And uh, that's where a lot of people come to us and they start their journey like you did. But the end goal is to, to help people fall back in love with the joy of movement and mm. to find people in their community that they can connect and play with um, no matter the age. So, yeah, I'm glad that it resonates with you, Lisa. But Yeah. And I, and I think the I think that's the other thing about the Foot Collective is the space of um, you know the stuff that's in there, the people that are in there. Like I, you know, um, I haven't connected up with anybody in person, but will I mean I certainly like to. And I actually was looking at you know sort of thinking to myself, I wonder how many people are actually down here in Geelong. You know, like whether or not there's a few uh, organise a. Uh, Get a, an SOS meetup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And just have a wander around uh, the waterfront in, in Geelong um, or down here in Torquay. But, um, you know, that sort of sense of recognising that there's lots of ways in which I think what I'm sort of have liked is that there's lots of ways in which people can engage, lots of levels at which people can engage. And you can engage in the stuff that's sort of just in time what you need for where, where you're at. And then mm. there's stuff to explore if you want to explore more. You know, like I, I like doing research on things, right? So I'm going to be one of those ones that, you know, pulls apart the weeds. I want to understand it. But for other people, if that's not what they want to do, then it's actually a whole lot. There's just a whole lot of stuff that allows them to connect as well. And like I find that, you know, some of the discussions on shoes is fantastic and you know because that's a big thing for people when you when you go to natural footwear um and particularly if you've been used to uh you know buying shoes that relate to your work you know whether it's work function as in i need some like good looking shoes to wear to work mm. or if you're a tradie and you need shoes to work for trading business, like there's these huge extremes and stuff that we just had, but the discussions that occur in that space are fantastic and they're international. And that's the other thing I think is fantastic about the Foot Collective is that um, it is fantastic to hear, you know, Paolo from Spain and, you know, people from Germany and people from the States and Canada and, and hearing... Uh, in the UK, like, and just hearing what, well, the commonality of issues, I guess, is probably interesting, but also how are they working through individual solutions in their areas around, you know, where to get shoes from or not buy them from or what other bits and pieces that they may have or haven't and how do we connect up in that space. And, yeah, so I think um, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic element of it as well. For sure. Well... 
we might leave it there. Um, I, I have one last question that I like to ask people on the story for the soul stories from the soul episodes is if someone was in your position before they'd seen that ad or they'd connected with the foot collective and you know, they'd had their own health journey up to this point, why would you encourage them to, to join the community or, you know, to connect with the foot collective? Why, what would be your sort of tight summary of why you'd try and get them on board? What would you say to them? Yes, tight summaries are never. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you. Um, I think. I mean, it would depend on who I was speaking to. But, you know, it, it's either a if someone has a health issue and they are wanting to do something. Um, you know, like actually on the weekend, I was moving stones with at a friend's house, gravel, and she went. Oh, and she's a runner, and she went. Oh, I went to. And she's someone who I used to actually ask advice around stuff with. But she's had some calf issues. She goes, oh, I went to this woman, I think it's a woman, um, physio. And I thought to myself, she's sounding a lot like Lisa. There's a whole lot of stuff here about natural shoes. And, you know, <laughs> I went, oh, my God, there's some, there's someone down here. Um, but... But so my point is, I think it would depend on where someone is at. I think that of idea of if someone is in pain and they have an issue and they feel that they haven't been able to resolve that in some way, then I would say um, this is worth having a look at to go and see if the information works for you. Um, it's you can. You don't have to buy anything to start off with. You can you can start to do stuff. But I think buying something actually is um, good in that it actually, for some of the exercises, it really helps you work through where you're at and therefore how to progress. So some of the um, stuff where you do some, uh, you know, sort of benchmark stuff around how flexible bits and pieces are, that's really helpful by the soulmate. But I think I'd say, like, you know, it's worthwhile having a look and seeing whether or not it resonates for you and starting some of that movement and seeing not and not go to whatever else. But, you know, so because I feel like it's not good to say to someone, you know, um, oh, what you're doing is all the sort of mainstream thing. And, you know, like I think it's like when you guys talk about the idea that it's not that you're against orthotics, it's just that the orthotics need to be part of the journey, not the end goal um and so for me i'd be saying to some people look um it's worthwhile having a look to see whether or not there's something in there that resonates for you and to have a try at it and i would generally say and i'm happy to you know so usually i'll help them sign in or log in or they can come and use my phone <laughs> they can do whatever and they can have a go um because recently you were talking about that around you know the value of having someone else who's gone down a path and uh, because people, I think one of the challenges is that people want things to fix quickly. They want, you know, we're in, a, we're in a time when it's like how much of my attention and time is going to be taken up with this in a way that's going to drain me rather than energise me. And uh, so, therefore, having someone else who's done that and gone that bit and, you know, 
they haven't gone and not that there's anything wrong with this, but they haven't then, you know, sold everything and gone and lived in a tree. They still continue in their life. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're still doing other things. You know, like they see it as a doable thing. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I think I'd that's... say have a go and I'm willing to hold your hand while, you, while we both jump. <laughs> Love it. I mean, and that is the reason we have these episodes because I hope there's someone out there who is like you, Lisa, and has been in the same position or, or resonates with your story. Um, because yeah, often it is about just hearing someone else's perspective who's not a foot health expert or, uh, you know, a natural footwear brand or a pro athlete, uh, but just an everyday person who has, has worked it out, um, and is, is on the path. So thank you so much for taking the time. And, and, uh, the foot collective is full of those people. Yeah. Just ordinary people who have gone, Oh, I've got this issue. And now not only have I resolved that issue, but I'm actually stronger in so many ways than what I was before. Yeah. Body and mind. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.